0: You'd be surprised how little you have to know to be an expert.
1: Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Heidi ho Liberty neighbors, and welcome back to the Lions of Liberty podcast, your home for great conversations about the ideas of liberty, and as hard as it's going to be to top Last episode, episode 200 with Dr. Ron Paul. We're going to give it a go. We're going to do it again in this episode number 201. You can find the show notes for today's show featuring everything we discuss with today's guests over at lionsofliberty.com slash 201. Today's show is sponsored by Health Excellence Select, an incredible free market affordable, legal alternative to your standard Obamacare corporatized insurance. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com/health. My guest today is a former Republican US Congressional aide who spent 28 years working in the United States Congress before leaving government service in 2011. Since then he's written a number of books detailing much of what he came to learn while in Congress, including his latest Deep State, The Fall of the Constitution, and the Rise of a Shadow Government. Mr. Mike Lofgren, welcome to Lions of Liberty. Good to be here. With that Mr. Lofgren, there's just a wealth of fascinating information in your book. The deep state. But before we get into that, I'd like our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So, could you just start off telling us a little bit more about what motivated you to get into politics and maybe detail a bit about how you ended up becoming a congressional aide?
0: Well, I started out in 1983 on Capitol Hill. I was sort of a mainstream kind of Eisenhower Republican. I went to work in a Republican office, eventually ended up at the House. In the Senate budget committees as a budget analyst. And I took pride in being a professional, knowing the budget numbers and giving people, you know, honest answers that you couldn't lie with the numbers, that they are what they are, and they're not Democrat, and they're not Republican. I started really changing my philosophy in that period between 9 11 and the invasion of Iraq, when a Republican president went completely off the rails, was essentially lying to the general public, and trying to whip up war hysteria to get us to invade the wrong country. And that's when I made the decision that ideology, as practiced in Washington, is basically just toxic. And we've seen the results. It's gotten worse and worse.
1: Sure. When you actually left Congress, you wrote an article that just kind of went viral and blew up. And you referred to the Republican Party as becoming more like an apocalyptic cult. Can you just detail a little bit more about what the changes you saw happening in the Republican Party? Obviously, they started, as you kind of implied there, with President Bush and and pushing for the war in Iraq. But what are the kind of the greater changes that you saw taking place in the party at that time?
0: Well... They advertise themselves as a sort of principled proponent of small government conservatism and defense of the Constitution. But that's basically just the propaganda smokescreen. What they really are is a kind of a lobby, a very powerful lobby for tax avoidance for the 1%. Now, that's not a very popular position to try to sell to the country at large. So they put on a kind of camouflage of cultural resentment, religiosity, the culture wars, talking about immigration, so that the average middle class or working class person gets diverted into the culture wars and abortion, talking about gay rights Uh, religious freedom and all this other stuff, while they're not noticing that the 1% are taking more and more off the table and everybody else is getting less and less.
1: Do you view the Democrats as being any different, really, or do you just see them as kind of the flip side of the marketing of that same coin?
0: Well, I don't fall into sort of the media view that, well, both sides do it. No, they're not the same. The Democrats have not gone so far down that road, and they don't make these dog whistle appeals on race and so forth and xenophobia. However, particularly in the upper reaches of the party, they are dominated by big money. They have a a very big Wall Street wing. This has existed ever since the Democratic Leadership Council in the 1980s decided, well, they weren't going to lose any more elections, so they had to start being more like Republicans. And I think your perfect sort of identikit candidate for the Wall Street crowd is Hillary Clinton.
1: And that Wall Street connection really does kind of play into uh, what we're going to discuss a little bit more here with your book, The Deep State. Now, many people might see the title of your book and they might hear terms like shadow government and immediately think that this is just another wacky conspiracy theory. So can you kind of clear up exactly what the shadow government is? What exactly is the deep state as you refer to it?
0: Well, it sounds all mysterious, but you know, I'm not an Area 51 or UFO guy. This has nothing to do with that. These aren't sort of hidden conspiracies uh, meeting in the dark of night. This is mostly things we know about, names that we know. We know the Dick Cheneys. We know the Donald Rumsfels. We know the bureaucrats in the Defense Department and at State. We know the people on Wall Street like Jamie Dimon and Lloyd Blankfein. We know the people in Silicon Valley who got enormous amounts of money. They're even making Jamie Dimon look like the poorest guy at the country club with compensations of $100 million a year. Jamie only gets 20 poor fellow. And all these people are simply combining to divide up the territory and control the political marketplace. There's nothing secret about that. The military-industrial complex is a part of it. We've known about that ever since uh, Eisenhower gave a name to it way back in 1961. The problem is, since 9-11, it's grown even stronger. Now that we've had an unprecedented war of 15 years in length, Wall Street has become ever more entrenched. They got us into the terrible mess in 2008 and they were bailed out, held harmless. There were no reforms. I mean, the Dodd-Frank reforms were minor, but they didn't involve compensation limits on companies that were taking public money, let alone cleaning house and putting in a new executive suite and board of directors. Silicon Valley sort of gets its way with intellectual property laws such that you technically don't even own the phone that you thought you bought, you know, jailbreaking it. There's statutes on the books that could send you to prison, in theory, for that. And they are very dominant in giving money to candidates who are friendly towards things like Uber's business model. I think David Axelrod, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the ex obama administration officials who's gone to work for uber as a consultant so you've got this complex of tremendous amount of money some of its public institutions like the department of defense or the cia some of its private like the contractors but they're all on the same team the problem is uh, who are they working for other than their own self-aggrandizement.
1: So the deep state is essentially kind of an umbrella term for all the various forces that actually control our government and shape our laws, much more so than even it seems that the average congressman does.
0: Well, yeah. There were two academics, Martin Gillens of Princeton and Benjamin Page of Northwestern, They examined almost 2,000 surveys of American public policy over the last couple of decades and to see what the public favored correlated with policy outcomes. And I'll quote Gillens: The preferences of economic elites have far more independent impact on policy change than the preferences of average voters do. I'd say that contrary to what political science research might lead you to believe, and this is the killer quote, ordinary citizens have virtually no influence over what their government does in the United States, and economic elites and interest groups have substantial influence. Government policymaking over the last few decades reflects the preferences of those groups. For instance, there was no great public outcry to repeal the Glass-Steagall law that dated from 1933 that separated investment and commercial banking. That was a kind of firewall that prevented financial collapses from getting out of hand. Yet, in 1999, it was repealed. Republicans in Congress introduced the bill And Bill Clinton's treasury, supposedly the opposite political party, lobbied for it. And Robert Rubin, who was the secretary of the treasury at the time, went on to become the CEO of the group that benefited from the repeal of the law. Travelers Insurance and Citigroup were able to merge into a much bigger conglomerate. And he became the CEO, making tens of millions
1: a year. Now, Mike, what you're describing here is, really sounds quite far from the original envision that the founders had for how this government should function. It actually sounds a lot closer to what they rebelled against, you know, taxation without representation. And it certainly sounds like we don't have legitimate representation in this country at this point. So can you kind of touch on the origin of the deep state? I mean, how far back does this really go?
0: Well, it's always been a tug of war between the people and the oligarchs. People like Jefferson were quite conscious at the time of the founding of our country that corporations were very dangerous entities or could be. They tended to be chartered by the king in Europe. It became things like the East India Company, and the Hudson's Bay Company, and where they operated, they were a monopoly, and they were a law unto themselves. And they had essentially the right of enforcing their own law and using coercion against anybody who didn't agree. So initially, corporations in this country had to be individually chartered by state legislatures for a specific purpose, that had some public interest involved, and there was sunset that could not go on for more than a set term of years. Well, eventually that eroded, and then you had corporate law where they could just incorporate for a, a nominal sum, and you eventually had the Supreme Court declaring them as people. Now, this has waxed and waned throughout our history, We had pretty much the situation we have now in the Gilded Age of the late 19th century. But you know what? Farmers from Nebraska and coal miners from Pennsylvania decided they'd had enough. And it took decades of struggle. But eventually we had progressive reforms like wage and hour laws, women voting, prohibition on child labor, and so forth. But it slid back. One of the things that gives the secrecy of the deep state its distinction and the size of it is I think it really began in terms of the, what we know today in the Second World War with the Manhattan Project. Here you had this enormous thing that created whole secret cities in the United States like Hanford, Washington or Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Not a single member of Congress knew that they had appropriated money for it. They didn't know it existed. Harry Truman didn't know anything about it until after Franklin Roosevelt died in office and Truman was sworn in. So once you have a situation where you can create this whole atomic infrastructure based on secrecy and nobody knows about it, you're off to the races in setting up a broader infrastructure for control of society that people aren't aware of, or they just can't connect the dots. We know there's a nuclear program. We know that Wall Street's powerful. We don't see the sort of interconnectedness of it. And the fact that people like David Petraeus, who got praised in the corporate media is the greatest general since Alexander the Great. Once he left the CIA in disgrace because of a marital indiscretion, he ended up at uh, Colbert Kravitz Roberts on Wall Street, a leveraged buyout firm. Now, what are his qualifications for Wall Street? Well, I don't think he has any. But what he is, he's an influence peddler, a door opener, And that's what all these guys are. They interchange personnel back and forth.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really seems like from the description in your book that the political influence is really the best skill to have for a lot of the people involved in the deep state. It's really not about what their actual skills is or their expertise. It's really about who can they connect you to? What influence in the government can they provide you with?
0: Right. I mean, we're 0 for 3 in our interventions in the Middle East. Iraq was a disaster. Libya was a disaster. Syria is an ongoing disaster. But the people who authored this thing that thought it was a great idea, they're going on to greater glory and fame. Either they've gone off to Wall Street or they've taken jobs on the boards of military companies and that sort of thing, and they're getting rich. And, of course, one of them, Hillary Clinton, who basically was one of the driving forces in the Libya intervention, who was talked into it by uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, who seems a rather shady character, the president of France at the time, who was basically looking to get oil concessions for French oil companies. She's now the, you know, putative nominee, or at least she thinks she is, and really resents Bernie Sanders for challenging her for the Democratic Party nomination.
1: It is troubling that someone with the past and the recent past of Hillary Clinton, let alone the email scandal, but even just looking at, like you mentioned, the interventions in Benghazi and Libya, I mean, the fact that this person is the presumptive nominee and, and that most people, I mean, besides some very fervent Bernie Sanders supporters, are not really challenging her eligibility at all. It really is troubling. And it speaks to a lot of what you're saying that it doesn't really matter if you fail in any sense of the word as a politician or as a an influence peddler, as you might I'd say whatever happens in your kind of the things you recommend, whether it's a foreign policy disaster, an economic disaster on Wall Street, the negative consequences don't just seem to slide off these people like they're all made of Teflon.
0: That's right. I'm not a Hillary hater. I have no truck with the Republican stuff in the 90s of going after her husband because of his indiscretions, private indiscretions or the the idiots who thought somehow she murdered Vince Foster and all this other, you know, complete nonsense. That said, her policy judgment that can be recorded has been consistently poor, whether it was as a senator voting in favor of the Iraq war or as a secretary of state recommending uh, armed intervention in Libya. And she was in the White House, at the time of the 94 crime bill that her husband was a big proponent of that landed a lot of black people in prison for very long sentences and the sister soldier thing and all that where she gets off or at least her campaign insinuating that Bernie Sanders only appeals to white people And that black people are somehow offended by his whole shtick. is just bizarre.
1: Well, Mike, you know what else is just bizarre? That's the state of our healthcare industry in this country. And that's why I need to take a minute now to tell my audience about our great sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I purchased my own health insurance. So personally, I was hit by some serious sticker shock after the implementation of Obamacare my deductible more than doubled, my premium shot through the roof. And I'm just sitting here thinking, what am I actually getting for this? I'm a healthy guy. I don't go to the doctor. I really hadn't even been to a doctor for any major medical problem in years and years and years. So why would I spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month and then have to spend six or $8,000 in deductibles before I even see a dime of coverage for my healthcare? It just didn't add up. And it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up for most of us. But luckily, there is an alternative out there now. It's an alternative known as health sharing. And health sharing is simply awesome. (laughs) I've gotten paid for every single medical bill I've submitted in full, 100%. This is not a joke. After I spend $500, I get everything else back. And our friends at Health Excellence Select have kicked it up a notch. They'll do all the work for you. They will find your doctors. They will set appointments for you. They'll provide you 24-7 access to doctors via Skype so you don't even need to go to a doctor or pay a dime half the time. Health Excellence Select is truly revolutionary, and you guys are doing yourselves a disservice if you do not look into this amazing alternative to your standard, corporatized Obamacare health insurance. You can learn more by heading over to lionsofliberty.com health, or if you're ready to sign up, you can directly call my representative, Jeff Cantor, at 440-283-6849. Tell him Mark from Lions of Liberty sent you. Mike, I want to kind of tick back the clock a little bit back to um, your time as a congressional aide and kind of try to figure out when you first started to become aware of this deep state. Was there a specific moment that stands out to you or or anything where you just kind of a light bulb went off and you said, wow, this government is really not what I thought it would be or or what I think it should be?
0: Well, I think in the few months after 9-11, we'd suffered a devastating attack from a group based in Afghanistan called Al-Qaeda. We had sent soldiers, mainly special forces, to Afghanistan, and we were getting ready in December of 2001 for the sort of climactic uh, capture of bin Laden and his group at Tora Bora. But they were able to get away because we did, did not have enough troops on the ground to form a a sufficient dragnet they slipped over the border into Pakistan meanwhile budget amendments were coming and supplementals were coming across my desk talking about the great military buildup well it wasn't in Afghanistan it was in the Persian Gulf for the purpose of invading Iraq so one month or rather one year and three months before the invasion of Iraq, they were already planning this stuff. And it told me, one, that they are not leveling with the American people, and two, they're really incompetent, or they're, perhaps three, that they're following somebody else's agenda, because Saddam Hussein was, of course, a tyrant and a gangster, But he was a secular Arab nationalist who had nothing whatsoever to do with al-Qaeda. In fact, they were deadly enemies. So the whole propaganda campaign they laid on in the months thereafter was just a total lie.
1: So really, those post 9-11 events really made things um, more obvious to you about how the state operates and how they operate in interests that clearly don't coincide with reality or and certainly not with the interests of the American people. And Mike, I'm curious kind of how other congressmen or even other congressional aides like yourself kind of view this. I mean, are other people aware of this or are, are most congressmen and aides kind of just cogs in the system or are they more active participants?
0: You'd be surprised how little you have to know to be an expert. It's amazing how many staff members and bureaucrats really don't have a good grasp of history and sort of how the current events flow in foreign countries, that they can actually make a cogent argument against whatever an administration might be pushing. And as well, there's a kind of group think that, well, this is what we're going to do, and everybody's on board. And let me tell you, in a democracy, that is not a healthy mentality. And a lot of people in other categories, whether they're doing health or education or whatever, they think national security is some mysterious black box that contains all this expertise and special knowledge. Well, it doesn't. It's just history, current events, and trying to make some sense out of it. And I have not been impressed by very many of the so-called experts on foreign policy that are touted as being experts in Washington.
1: Mike, you discuss uh, President Obama in your book quite a bit. And the way it comes across from your description, it almost sounds like he was sort of crafted as an ambassador to the deep state. I mean, can you detail a little bit more about President Obama's relationship to the deep state? Well, if you
0: read his autobiography, he even has a section in there talking about once how he ceased to be a community organizer and started running for higher office. He was surrounded by rich people all the time, you know, rich people handing him checks. And he noticed himself how he was assimilating to their views simply because they were sucking all the oxygen out of the room and they were the only presence. It certainly didn't escape me at the time that he said at the beginning of 2008, when he was still Senator obama and he was running for president he would filibuster he wouldn't just oppose he would filibuster any bill that would give retroactive immunity to the telecoms for participating with the nsa in illegal surveillance of americans a few months later i think it was july of 2008 He's already the presumptive nominee. He's about to be coronated in um, Denver, Colorado, the next month as the nominee. He votes for the FISA Amendment Acts to give them immunity. Now, something happened there. Wow. He became assimilated. And the fact that he took on John Brennan, who is a uh, Bush administration CIA official, then who'd left the government, latched on to Obama as a foreign policy advisor, and then became his CIA director, shows how the underlying personnel, the people that you appoint, tend to be the same people, just as Bob Gates was the Secretary of Defense under Bush and presided over the surge that Obama opposed. What was his first Thing he did about the Defense Department, he hired Bob Gates as Defense Secretary.
1: And, Mike, on the subject of the presidency, right now we have a couple presidential candidates in Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump who seem to capture a lot of frustration in the electorate. They're both doing so in very different ways. But do you think that this frustration that these candidates seem to be playing off of is in some way sort of a a response to the deep state, this idea that there are elites controlling this country and that the average person – in whatever way they perceive it might be different than reality, but they perceive that there are these elites that are kind of destroying their lives and screwing them over. So do you see either of these candidates as sort of being a response to this in some way?
0: Oh, absolutely. Sanders is a definite response to the income inequality issue and the fact that Democratic presidential nominees, whether it's Hillary, the she thinks presumptive nominee, or Obama or Kerry, none of these people really address the issue of income inequality because they're too tied to Wall Street. Now, the Trump people have gone completely nuts. But in a sense, when they're screaming about terrorism, I noticed that the voters in South Carolina, in the South Carolina primary, they put terrorism as their number one issue and they voted for Trump in droves. Now, Trump was a Vietnam draft avoider who doesn't even know what the nuclear triad is, but somehow he's able to exploit this because he is an authoritarian figure, a fuhrer, if you will, who assuages the fears of people who've been sort of made fearful By 15 years of talk by the deep state about how the terrorist bogeyman is going to get you. So in a way, he's just exploiting what they've created.
1: Does the presidency even matter at this point when it comes to the deep state? I mean, could even electing somebody like Bernie Sanders, who really does seem opposed to a lot of the machinations of the deep state, could something like that actually curb it? Or, I mean, are they just going to become like President Obama and just naturally become assimilated because that's really the only way to become president?
0: Well, different presidents do make the difference on the margin. I would rather have had President Obama, as assimilated as he is, than somebody like John McCain, who has absolutely terrible judgment in foreign policy and whose first instinct is always to use force. So there is a difference. But that said, any candidate is going to have to go along to some degree. He's the skipper on this enormous 600,000 ton oil tanker that he can't make it do a U-turn in less than you know a huge amount of space. It's just very difficult. So yeah, individual choices do matter, but they don't matter a lot. And part of that is because the underlying psychology of the American people that elects them is so divided, it's so distracted by other issues like gay marriage and all this sort of stuff, that is it precisely intended to distract their attention that they cannot give their full attention to what is their own best material interest.
1: Well, Mike, we really only scratched the surface of uh, you know what you detail in your book, The Deep State. And uh, First of all, thank you for joining me because that was You're really fascinating welcome. stuff. Yeah, And uh, I do encourage people to check out the book because, like I said, we only really barely scratch the surface of what you go into great detail on. So before I let you go, can you just let everybody know how they can find your book, uh, your writing in general, and, and anything else you'd like to plug, feel free to do so.
0: Sure. It's The Deep State, The Fall of the Constitution, and The Rise of a Shadow Government. It's for sale at your independent book dealer, if possible, and if you must, Amazon.com has it. I also have a number of articles available on
1: MikeLofgren.net. All right, Mike Lofgren, the book is The Deep State. Once again, thank you for joining me today, Mike, and keep up the great work. Enjoyed being here. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my conversation there today with Mr. Mike Lofgren about his book, The Deep State. And like I said, we really only scratched the surface here about the deep state. Mike Lofgren, in his book, really goes in-depth into all the different ways that these different groups, private groups, governmental groups, really do control our government, much more so than even a congressman or a senator, and certainly much more so than the average man, the average voter, if you will controls it. There is an illusion of control in our democracy. You know, if you vote for certain leaders, you're going to see certain change. I mean, almost every politician, not just Obama, promises this massive change. And yet every single time, every single time, the president doesn't end up really changing all that much. Now, look, the president isn't supposed to have the power to just make sweeping changes. But at the same time, we can always see that these presidents, once they come in, they kind of default back to the standard positions. And and there's a reason for that, because, you know, at the end of the day, the president is working for these interests, these interests, these various tentacles of the deep state. And what Mike's really describing here with the deep state are all the, the massive tentacles of crony capitalism. You know, it's government working in concert with businesses to manipulate things, to manipulate the economy in their favor. To manipulate the laws so that things turn out the best for them, which doesn't always turn out the best for our fellow man. You can, of course, purchase Mike's book, The Deep State, over at Amazon. You can get a link to that over at the show notes for the show over at lionsofliberty.com slash 201. In fact, you can make all your purchases through our Amazon link, which you can find at lionsofliberty.com slash Amazon, and that'll give us a little kickback and help us keep this operation going because, believe it or not, it does cost a little money to run a podcast. It does take a lot of time to run a podcast. So I do this out of passion. I do this out of the desire to spread the ideas of individual liberty and individual rights, and the more help we get with that from you guys, the more we're able to do that. The more we're able to expand our operation, perhaps even give you more shows per week than the three you're already getting every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at lionsofliberty.com. Of course, you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on YouTube. There are just so many ways to hear this show, and if you are a fan of what you're hearing, I encourage you to subscribe on those platforms. Hit that little button, subscribe on iTunes, subscribe on Stitcher, and if you can, leave us a five-star rating and a great review on those channels. That'll really help us get the show in front of more people. Now, I don't do this show just to dictate how things should be, just to tell you how the world should be through my eyes, through my liberty lens here. It's a conversation, not a dictation. And I want you guys to join the conversation and you can do that by joining our private Facebook group. That's the Lions of Liberty Forum. If you just type Lions of Liberty Forum in your little Facebook search bar, it should pop right up. Request to join and we'll get you right in there. As long as you don't look like some kind of creepy spam bot, we'll get you right in there to join the conversation with myself, some of my fellow Lions of Liberty cohorts, some of the people that have been on the show in the past are even in the forum. So we really do want to keep this a conversation, not just a dictation. You can, of course, find our main Facebook page at facebook.com slash lions of liberty. If you're a tweeter, you can find us on the Twitter at lions of liberty. Now, next week, next Monday, we're going to return to our very popular roundtable format where I bring in some of my fellow lions of liberty friends and associates to have a little conversation, perhaps over a few adult beverages. We'll be doing that on Monday, taking a look at this week's Democrat debate. Yes, tomorrow night, Thursday, Hillary and Bernie are going at it one more time. We're also going to talk a little bit about the Libertarian candidates. They just wrapped up part two of their debate on the John Stossel show over on Fox Business, so we got a lot to talk about with my Lions of Liberty crew. We Look forward to seeing you then. Of course, this coming Friday, don't forget, another edition of John Odermatt's Felony Friday, a weekly look at the broken criminal Criminal justice system. Until then, folks, live long and live free.